0: Um, like you, I was sitting in my seat last week, uh, and Simon, towards the end of the service, said he felt there was someone here that had a pain in their leg, and I was definitely had a pain in my leg, um, and I, I felt God was saying to me, Ross, this is for you, and I, um, Simon invited people to come forward for prayer for healing, so I came forward, and I did get prayer, um, a very sensitive prayer, a prayer at different kind of levels as well. I thought the prayer was was, was real good. Um, and post that, I believe I've been healed. Um, awesome. So awesome. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Praise God. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Acts 14, Paul's in a place with Lystra, and there's a lame man, and Paul looks at the guy and says, get up, and the lame man gets up. He's been lame since birth, I think. And then the locals want to turn Paul into Zeus, the God, and they try to have a celebration to celebrate Zeus. And Paul says, no, no, it's not about me. It's about God. And he gives them a little lesson on God the Creator and Jesus and says it's Jesus' power that's done this, not, not mm. Paul's power. So I would encourage you, like I was encouraged last week, if, if, if there's something going on, and even if, if it's a general prayer but still, you still need prayer, come forward because the power of Jesus is there for all of us. Hallelujah. It's just not 2,000 years ago, it's today. <clears throat> and I can testify to that. And I'm a lot better now, so I'm very happy, actually. Because yeah. it, was, it was getting quite annoying. And, and, yeah, so there we go.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Ross. That's so cool. Yeah, let's give a round of applause, eh? <clears throat> Praise God. <laughs> yeah, look, that's, that's awesome, eh? And, I, you know, God wants to move in our lives in so many ways, right? Sometimes it's through physical healing. Sometimes it's just through... You know, uh, I don't know, just doing something in our heart. And I don't mean just, because that's really important too. Doing something in our heart and changing us. But whatever it is, let's come with expectant hearts for God this morning, because He wants to speak into our lives. Hey, we are starting this morning, for the next nine weeks, a really exciting series, going through the book of Philippians, okay? So if you've got a Bible, um, I'd really encourage you to open that, otherwise there'll be some verses coming up on the screens. But we're going to go for nine weeks through this book, or this letter, called Philippians. And you know, the incredible thing about this book is there is this overriding theme throughout all of Philippians of joy. And anyone that talks on Philippians talks on the fact this is a book about joy. And so Simon has entitled this series, The Joy Revolution. I reckon that's a cool way to to describe these next nine weeks, The Joy Revolution. I don't know about you, but as I look around our world today, man, I reckon we need a joy revolution. That is one thing we need. Even though this was written about 2,000 years ago, right, it is completely relevant for us today. Because we need a revolution of joy. Do you know, it's interesting, a lot of people that I meet in life, they're striving for something. And often the way they describe it is they're striving for happiness. You hear people say that? Say, you know what, all I really want in my life is to be happy. Or maybe the greatest desire is, you know, I don't care what my children do as long as they're happy. You know, maybe if I buy this thing, it'll make me happy. Maybe if I take on this new job, it'll make me happy. Maybe if I have this relationship, it'll make me happy. And there's this real focus on happiness. But the thing I want us to understand this morning is that happiness is not synonymous with joy, okay? Happiness is not synonymous with joy. Because happiness is really just a feeling of satisfaction based on circumstances, It's just a feeling of satisfaction based on circumstances. It's like if someone comes over to your house who you really like, and they come and they have a cup of tea with you, you feel happy. But then they leave, and you might feel sad because then you're alone again. So you're happy one minute, you're sad the next. And it's just the circumstances that have changed. It's It's how you're feeling. And you see, happiness, it's related to that word, hap. And hap basically conveys this notion of chance, okay? It's like you can't really plan for it. It may happen or it may not. It's elusive. But when we talk about joy over these next nine weeks, it is so different because joy isn't something that's related to our circumstances. It's something that is so deep and it's this deep-seated confidence that we can have that no matter what happens in life, at the end of the day, all will be well. And we'll explain a bit about that this morning. But I just want you to understand it's not based on circumstance. And in fact, joy is so different to happiness because joy is something that I believe, as a Christian, comes from God. It's something that he plants into our heart. And it's something that can't be stolen because he gives it to us and he is the ultimate source of it. And so my prayer over these next nine weeks is that God would so reveal himself to us that his joy would just flood our heart. And whether it's for the first time, or whether it's that actually you've known God's joy, but actually the daily grind of life, you're not really experiencing it, I want to pray that we'd be overwhelmed by his joy again. So why don't we just stop, let's pray, and then we're going to get into Philippians. And what we want to do today is give a real sort of 40,000 foot view of Philippians, and then jump into a few verses, and then that'll be it, okay? But it's going to be an exciting nine weeks. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. And God, I am so, um, I guess, just so thankful that, Lord, 2,000 years later, these words on this, these pages are still so relevant to us. And that, God, your, your, your words are alive and they can speak to us, they can change us. And I pray that over these nine weeks, Lord, as we look at the the book of Philippians, that, Lord, your joy would flood our hearts. I pray for those who have never experienced your joy, that even today, Lord, they would receive your joy. I pray for those of us, Lord, who may have just forgotten what it means to live a joyful life in Christ. I pray that that would be reinstated within us, Lord. So, God, have your way in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you look at Philippians, it's actually a letter. Okay, We talk about the book, but it's a letter. It was a letter written by Paul. And it's broken down, or one way to break it down, is into nine short essays, basically. Okay, And every one of those essays has this theme of joy, and that's why we're doing it over nine weeks. But it's basically this this letter that's written to this, this pretty new church. It's about 10, 11 years old. And it's saying to the church, this is the way that you can live a life of joy in Christ, okay? No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've experienced, you can experience a life of joy in Christ. And so we're going to look at each of these essays. But just firstly, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, let's see how it starts. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Just stop there for a second, just think about that. In this day and age, we don't talk too much about being a servant, right? I mean, some people talk about servant leadership, but I love it how Paul, who's this incredible man in the Christian faith, I mean, he was you know, one of the leaders that we look to, he calls himself, first and foremost, a servant of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thought. And I think there's actually a key there to this whole message about joy. Is it actually firstly understanding who we are in Christ, who he is to us and who we are to him, and realizing that our first, I guess, responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to see ourselves as a servant of his. And Paul knew that first and foremost. He was a servant of Jesus Christ. Awesome thought. Goes on, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. That's an interesting word, right? Saints. You know, there are churches, and you think about it, the Catholic Church, talk about giving someone a sainthood. But the interesting thing is, if you're a follower of Jesus, then every one of us is a saint. Isn't that awesome? You may not feel that saintly all the time. I know I don't. But God says in the Bible that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a saint. And that's why Paul is addressing all of the followers of Jesus, all of the saints in Jesus Christ, in a place called Philippi including the overseers, that's like the elders, the pastors, the, the, um, the bishops is one of the words in there, basically the leaders of the church in Philippi, and the deacons. The deacons were those who had special roles of service in the church. So he's talking to everyone, all of the saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's writing to this church in Philippi. Why is he writing to them? Well, go back in your Bible if you got it to Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, you find Paul again, and he is going on one of his missionary journeys, and he's with another guy by the name of Silas. And this is an amazing story in the Bible. I mean, this this story is pretty awesome. Acts chapter 16, I'm going to read to you a few verses from verses 7 to 10. When they, that was Paul and Silas, when they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. It's interesting, isn't it? So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him. Cross over to Macedonia and help us, was what this man was saying in the, in the vision in the dream. After Paul had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's Paul and Silas. They're trying to get into this place. Um, called Bithynia, but somehow God stops them. Now, I don't know what it was, whether it was literally they couldn't physically move, whether there was bad weather, I don't know what was going on, but somehow God puts a roadblock in their way, and so they have to turn in another direction. And they're turning in this other direction, and they go down to Troas, and then they go to sleep, and Paul has this vision. And in the vision, he sees this man from Macedonia, which is where Philippi is, saying, come over to us. And it's amazing, you know, we're about to read this letter to the Philippian church. And this was a church that God like picks out and says, Paul, that's where I want you to go. And he does this amazing miracle just so that Paul would go to Philippi and to start this new church. And if you've got time, I really encourage you over the next week to read Acts 16 and 17, because there's some amazing stuff that happens around that, that missionary journey. But particularly in Acts 16, we read these stories about... Um, this woman by the name of Lydia, who is a businesswoman, and she becomes a follower of Jesus. We read about Paul and Silas being put in prison, and then God coming in an amazing way and, and breaking them out. And then the jailer that was looking after them comes to know Jesus, and his whole family becomes followers of Jesus. These amazing things happen, right? And Paul just sees this incredible fruit of his ministry occurring. But then what happens is he has to leave very quickly, and he has to basically escape out of out of philippi. And so many years later, about 10 or 11 years later, you've now got Paul and he's in Rome under house arrest right at the end of his life. He's waiting to see Caesar because he's he's basically he's appealed to Caesar and so he's under house arrest and he knows that where this is going to end up most likely is his execution. And there he is at this time basically in jail waiting to die. And he's writing a letter to this young church. And his whole letter is about joy. Get your head around that. Imagine if you were in prison, right? And you know you've only got a bit more time to live. And yet the theme of a letter that you're about to write is that you are so joyful. And in fact, as you're remembering this young church, all you can think about is, Oh man, God, I hope that church is still growing. And I'm just so excited about what God has done there. And it's just joy, joy, joy. But as we read over these next nine weeks, you've got to keep that that concept in your mind. This is written from a man in prison. How do you live in prison and have so much joy? Well, we're going to look at that over these next few verses, okay? And I just want to point out three things today. The first is this, the source of joy. The second is the threat to joy. And the third thing is experiencing daily joy, okay? So we're going to look at what is the source of joy, What's the threat to joy? And how do we experience daily life of joy? So let's carry on in Philippians, verse 3. And we're going to read verses 3 to 11. Paul says this, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, okay, remembering that young church, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay. So what is the source of Paul's joy? We've talked about the fact that he has this joy, but where does it come from that no matter what the circumstances are, he has this joy? Well, I think it comes from the same place as the psalmist, okay? The book of Psalms in the Bible. Let me read you a a verse out of one of the psalms. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this. God, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Where's the source of Paul's joy? It's God. What Paul has experienced is that God's presence brings abundant joy no matter where you are. No matter what the physical circumstances are, God's presence can be with you at that time. And his presence brings abundant joy. That's what the psalmist is saying. Lord, at your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. And the person writing that psalm, life wasn't always nice and rosy for him either. But he knew that in God's presence there was joy. And he gives us that joy, God does. Through the gift of his son Jesus. If you look at Luke 2, verse 10, this is right when Jesus has been born and the angel comes to the shepherds, okay, out in the desert and proclaims what has just happened. And this is what the angel says to the shepherds Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of what? Great joy that will be for all the people. You know, I love Christmas time, right? Because at Christmas time we sing these songs, but when you look at the words, sometimes we can kind of miss the word. When you look at the words, and you think about some of those songs that we think we sing. I just love it because it talks about the fact that into this dark history, God came and he brought joy. He brought a message of joy for all people. My question for you this morning is, do you know that joy? Have you received that joy? Are you living in that joy on a daily basis? Because God invites us into his kingdom, not to make us happy, Although, yes, we are happy often in the kingdom of God, for sure. But he calls us into his kingdom to experience his joy. That's why in Romans 14, verse 17, we read this. For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're part of God's kingdom, his joy is for you. And his kingdom is one of joy. Galatians 5.22, just a final verse here. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, it goes on. But the second one there is joy. So where is the source of Paul's joy? It comes from God through accepting the good news of Jesus being filled with His Spirit and brought into His kingdom, and then seeing the fruit of that in our lives, and one of those is joy. So it's like God's joy comes into our life, we experience joy, and then the fruit of that is joy as well. You get it? And that's what's on offer for us, guys. And you know, you may say this morning that, well, you know, you feel joyful today. And that's great. But my only caution to you is that, if joy, if your joy is based on a feeling, what happens when that feeling changes, right? Or put another way, if your joy is based on a circumstance, what happens when that circumstance changes? Because the second thing I want to look at is what is the threat to joy? And I think it is our circumstances. Our circumstances, if we don't have the right understanding of joy, can be a real threat to it. If your greatest definition of joy is happiness, then your joy will always be at threat. And you see, joy isn't founded on a feeling. It's founded on a position that you have in Jesus Christ. It's founded on a position that he gives you in the kingdom of God. Because if he says to you, James, you are now a part of my kingdom, and that is a fact, well, it's also a fact he is saying that my kingdom is a kingdom of joy. So when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, he says to you, okay, now your position is in a kingdom of joy. My joy is within you because my spirit, the spirit of joy, is within you. So his joy is planted in our heart. And you see, circumstances of life can be a real threat to that. Because in our mind, we can start to feel so bogged down by hardship or sickness or whatever it is, and those are real things. But what Paul is teaching us is that even in the midst of that, we can experience joy. Now that is a wonderful uh, hope for us, I believe, that we can experience joy in the midst of suffering. Because His Holy Spirit lives within us and can fill us with His joy. So the source of joy is God. The threat to joy is our circumstances. So what do we do then to, I guess, combat that threat? How do we live a daily life of joy so that it's not just based on how we're feeling each day? Well, there's four things I want to I just highlight here, okay? And the first one is this. Go back to Acts chapter 16, just for a minute with me. And I want to just point something out here that just sort of... I became aware of it a couple of days ago as I was reading it. I just thought, man, what an amazing example that is from Paul. So Acts chapter 16... Verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. Now look at verse 10. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia. You can just read that and sort of miss it, right? But think about this. It's the middle of the night. It's like 2 o'clock maybe in the morning, okay? And he's having this dream, and in the dream... God is speaking to him in a vision and saying, go to Macedonia. Now, does he just roll over and go, think about it in the morning? No. He is up. It says immediately. So I'm taking that as immediately, all right? He is out of bed. He is on Expedia, finding out the first flight to Philippi, right? He's waking up everyone in the household. We've got to go. We've got to go. And, you know, I reckon one of the first keys for us living a life of joy is immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. Sometimes God says something to me and it's really great, but I'm like, okay, I'll get around to it later. You know, surely God, that I can do that next week or tomorrow, or, you know, I'm not quite ready yet, maybe next year? That wasn't the way Paul lived. Paul is like, God speaks, he does. God speaks, he does. God speaks, he does. And, you know, sometimes. Christianity can get a bad rap because people think that it's all legalistic and you just got to do all these rules and things. But they miss the point. Actually, when God says something to us, it is his greatest plan for our life. And so if we don't follow that, we're the ones that are missing out. And because Paul was willing to just immediately go to Philippi, he sees this amazing work of God begin. And here we are reading about it 2,000 years later because of immediate obedience. So my first challenge to you on this is to say, what is God saying to you at the moment? And are you listening and obeying immediately? Not next week, not next year, not even tomorrow. What's he saying to you even this morning as you sit here that you may need to just jump up and go because actually God is telling you to do something right now. Imagine if we were that obedient, if we were that responsive to his spirit, we would live in the joy of God. The second thing is this. And back in Philippians chapter 1, Verses 4 and 5, Paul says this, He was always praying with joy for you in my every prayer. Now, why did he pray with joy in every prayer? Because of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. His joy, and part of his daily joy, was understanding that this church was partnering with him in the gospel. What does it mean to partner with someone in the gospel? Well, I think it can look very different for every single person. For you, you may be someone who is like Paul, who is going to be reaching out into the outer parts of the earth, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But even if you're doing that, what is going to help you do that? What is going to help you be sustained in that? is a bunch of people who are going to be praying for you, who are going to be maybe giving to you, who are going to be just flicking you an email and saying, I'm thinking about you, are you going okay? There is a role for every single one of us to partner in the gospel. Have you got a role? Are you playing a role in that? And you know, for the church of Philippi, it meant actually providing a lot of the needs of Paul because he was under house arrest, but someone needed to look after him. If he wanted to be feared, if he wanted to be looked after, so what did they do? They actually sent someone from their church called Ephroditus, and he went to Paul with a financial gift from this little church to Paul while he was in prison. And while Ephroditus was there, he got gravely ill, so sick he almost died. But Paul was so blessed by the fact that this man would come to him no matter what was going to happen to him because he was partnering with Paul in the gospel. And that gave Paul joy, but I bet it also gave Ephroditus joy and it gave this church in Philippi joy. And what Paul does is he sends back Ephroditus to Philippi with this letter to the Philippians. And his message is, thank you. Thank you for partnering with me in the gospel. Even while I'm in prison, you sent someone to me. How are you partnering in the gospel? What is your role in that? Because that is another key to living in daily joy. The third key is this, holding on to truth. Look at verse 6 here. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is an absolute key for holding your joy in Christ. An absolute key. You know, last week, as Carl was here, he spoke about the fact that a number of us might feel like we're in a desert, and that that, is, that may be okay for you at the moment, because that may be a time of preparing you. But for others, you might be thinking, has God forgotten me? Am I ever going to get out of this desert? Well, here's a truth for you, right? And I reckon God said it to some of you last week, but you didn't quite hear it. So amazingly enough, he's saying it to you again today in this, in this chapter. And he's saying, I have a plan for your life. I started something in you, a good work in you, and I am going to be faithful to complete it. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? He's got a plan for your life, and he will be faithful to complete it. Even if you aren't, he is going to be faithful to complete it. But are you willing to be a part of that journey with him? Do you know there's a a friend of mine at work, and he has on his computer this quote, Everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end. I love that. Everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end. And it's true for us in the Christian faith. In the end, whether it's here on earth or in glory with Jesus Christ, it will be all right. That's why we can have this hope. You know, I mean, a number of you know um, the story of my wife and I with our, our first children um, that we were expecting twin boys, and, and they died. One of them lived for about an hour, hour and a half, and then both of those boys died. And I remember at that moment thinking, Far out, what is going on? What is your plan here, God? I remember not being able to pray. I remember just feeling like I, you know, I just couldn't do anything. But I tell you this with absolute um, truth, is that there's a verse in the Bible that says this, We do not grieve like those who have no hope. And I remember at that time thinking, of course I was grieving. Was I feeling happy? Of course I wasn't feeling happy because my circumstances weren't good. But amidst all of that, there was a joy because the joy wasn't based on circumstance. It was based on an everlasting, eternal hope that even if my children die, if my parents die, even if my wife dies, or whatever happens in your life, there is something beyond that. There is someone beyond that it's Jesus. And he has a hope for our lives. So is it easy on earth? No, of course not. But there's this joy within. There's this because it's based on a hope that never fades. So you've got to hold on to the truth that God's not finished with you. You've got to hold on to the truth that there is a hope beyond the grave. And the final thing if we want to have this experience, this joy of life every day, is that we need to grow in love. Verses 9 to 11, Paul says, And I pray this for this young church, and you pray it for us, I'm sure, today, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. You know, the next thing that we can do, as it's saying here, is to allow our love for God to grow by deepening our relationship with Him. And you know, there's an intellectual side to that, absolutely, through studying the Word of God. It's an important thing to do. But I think there's also a spiritual side to that. And they're all connected, right? But there's a, there's an intellectual side and there's a spiritual side. And you know, my... my um, My desire is that we would grow in our understanding of God through his word. And we would grow in our understanding of God by by moving in the spirit of God, by allowing his Holy Spirit to direct us every single day. And that through that, our love would grow deep in him and strengthen in him so that we can weather the storm. And the important thing about weathering a storm, right, it's like if you know that one day a flood is going to come, then you build a dam or you build some walls to keep the flood out. You don't do it while it's raining. Well, sometimes you do, but it's often too late, right? But you prepare, you get ready. And right now might be a time in your life of preparation, or maybe right now you're in the storm, I don't know. But we need to take the time that we have to build deep roots so that whatever happens, we can weather that storm and we can weather it in the joy of God. And the final part here to finish with is that as we do those four things and as we live a life of joy, verse 11 is what happens, we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, we started today by saying the source of our joy is God. And now we finish these verses by Paul saying, yes, Through Jesus Christ, you have this joy, but through Jesus Christ, you give glory and praise to God. So he gives us joy, and as a result of that joy, the fruit of that should be praise to God, worship to God. And there's something about it, guys, that you can experience the joy of God in your life, but if you just sort of keep it in here and don't express it, it's like it's not quite complete. There's a wonderful quote here by C.S. Lewis. He says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Get that? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is, it's appointed consummation. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. There's something funny in that joy is never quite complete until it expresses itself in praise because we're ultimately made for worship. And so we're going to wrap up our time together today by doing exactly that. And I think one of the greatest ways that we can express our worship to God is at this time of communion. Because right now we come back to what this is all about. When we take some bread and we take some juice and we say, Lord God, you are the source of all joy, and because you allowed your son to die on the cross for me and rise again, I can receive joy. I can receive joy. And so in a minute, I'm going to invite us to take communion. It's, it's around the room. You can, you can take it back to your seat, and then we're just going to finish by lifting our praise to God, because maybe right now in your heart, you're experiencing daily the joy of God. Well, I want to encourage you to allow that to be expressed in praise to God, to allow that to be expressed in worship to God. But finally, my question to you is this, right? Some of you this morning may never have ever experienced that joy of God that we're talking about. Maybe today is for you. Right now, before we have communion, you can just, in your seat, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else, but in your seat, you could just shut your eyes if you want to so you can focus and you could just say, God, Yeah, I want to know that joy. I want you to come and live within me and fill my life with joy. I want to be a part of this kingdom of joy that James is talking about. If you want to do that, you can do it this morning. Don't be afraid. And then finally, just like Ross, right? Before you take communion this morning, there might be something in your heart that you just say, man, I'm struggling to get over this, James, and it is meaning that my daily life of joy isn't what I want it to be. And I would just love someone to pray with me. Well, we've got some people here who would love to pray with you. So if that's you, no one's going to be looking at you, just come out the front as people are taking communion. You just wander out here, stand here, and someone will just come and just pray for you, okay? They're not going to ask a whole lot of questions. They're just going to pray, just like they did for Ross. And let's see what God can do in bringing back that joy into your life. Let's pray. Why don't we stand together? Let's stand. Yeah. Thank you, God. Lord, you are the source of our joy. And Lord, I want to thank you that our joy doesn't depend on circumstances. I want to thank you that, Lord, in the roughest of circumstances, you're still there. In the hardest of times, your joy can still be experienced because it's based on you. It's based on our hope in you. It's based on a sure hope of eternity that you have promised to us. And Lord, I want to pray this morning for anyone in this room that has never experienced your joy, Lord, break into their heart this morning, fill their life with joy, and let them see the world in color the way that you want them to. And God, I want to pray for anyone else here today who is just, Lord, maybe once upon a time they, they knew your joy on a daily basis, but they haven't known it for a, a while. Could be a day, could be a year, could be 10 years. God, this morning I pray you'd release that joy again in their heart Help them to overcome whatever it needs to be overcome with you so they can live in joy. And God, as we take communion now, we thank you for this great gift of Jesus. And we are so thankful, God. We are joyful, Lord, for what you've given for us. Thank you, Lord. Let's take communion now.